morning, everybody. Uh, like my wife said, and that's my lovely wife, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who is visiting with us today for the very first time. I see some new faces in the crowd today. Thank you for being here today. And special welcome to anybody who might be listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday mornings at the South Suburban Vineyard Church. And before I begin the message this morning, I just want to say thank you to all of you who were able to participate over the last couple of weeks in some really important outreaches that we've had uh, in the community. We were at Jewel Osco over in Homewood uh, on 183rd and Kedzie, and we were able to bless people with some free stuff and tell them about what we're doing here at the vineyard. It's surprising that when you set up outside of a store, people automatically expect that you're selling something. Uh, and so they come up and say, hey, what can I buy? And we say, no, we're out here giving things away today, and we just want to tell you about our church. And so we had about a dozen or more people uh, sign up for a shift and was really a blessing to those uh, at the Jewel Outreach. And this past week, we were out at the uh, uh, Homewood Fourth of July Day Parade, and we were giving out freeze pops. And I think this year we were the only group giving out freeze pops. And so some of us had uh, the new design uh, on our shirts that said, I love my church. And as we were giving out freeze pops, one lady said, I love your church too. Uh, <laughs> because those freeze pops were refreshing. But we passed out thousands of invitations. Uh, and, and hopefully, hopefully, those will land on hearts. We've known people to come here and, and become a part of this church uh, who've had the invitation on their refrigerator for years, uh, right? And so we're not discouraged if we don't have a flood of people after uh, because we know the Holy Spirit works with those invitations and he does something special with us. All of this to say, uh, uh, if you're part of this church, it's really a good idea to be a part of these outreaches because it's what God is doing here. And we want this church to continue to grow, not just because we're obsessed with numbers, but be, because we believe that if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, more and more people will be added to the family of faith. And so I want to encourage you to continue and engage with that. Amen? Amen. Well, let me begin the message this morning. It's summertime, if you haven't realized that already. And if you haven't been hanging out with us for at least a number of years, you may or may not know that in the summertime, we pause to talk about something that's really, really important. Each and every summer for the last number of years, we've paused each and every summer to focus on relationships. Uh, I believe that relationships are one of the most important aspects of our lives. And because they're important, I believe they need to be talked about. And when I get up here on Sunday mornings to talk, I'm not just sort of rambling and just bumping my gums. I am trying to help you understand that the subjects that we bring before you are subjects that God has something to say about. And there's helpful wisdom and instruction from the scriptures uh, that will help us do and be who God has called us to be. And since there is a right and a wrong way to do just about everything, we can safely assume that there is a right and a wrong way to go about relationships. It might be news to you to know that God wants and expects us to do relationships really, really well, and it's because of that belief that I take time each and every summer to spend an extended amount of time dealing with the various aspects of our relationships, and this summer is no different. And so I have the privilege this morning of beginning a summer, a summer series that we're simply calling How to Win at Relationships. How to Win at 
relationships. It's true that so much of life is relational. And when we look at our lives with God, particularly how he instructs us to carry on as humans here on earth, uh, our purpose and our reason for being here boils down to two things. We have it printed on our shirts. It's all over our websites. It's our tagline, love God, love people, and live it out. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He says that all the commandments can be summed up in these two phrases, love God and love other people. In other words, spend your time, spend all you have pursuing a healthy understanding and helpful wisdom as to how to love God better. Giving yourself to him, sacrificing your will and way. And while you're at it, the other half of that is spend all your energy, all your time, all, get, get all the wisdom you can muster as to how to what? Relate well to the world around you, namely the fellow humans that we share this world with. And I have been saying for years, and I don't grow tired of saying that, that if you can master loving God and loving people, if you can spend your time and energy, if you can pursue wisdom concerning loving God and others, you are well on your way to living the good life, well on your way to living the abundant life. And it just so happens that the scriptures are full of insightful wisdom, instructions, and commandments that help us figure out how to relate well to other people, how to relate well in our other human relationships. And so it doesn't matter if you're married or single. We're going to talk about it. Uh, We're going to talk about friendships. We're going to talk about parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and how to do that in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. We'll talk about sex and what God expects of our sexual relationships and our sexual realities. We're going to talk about racial and cultural unity over the span of these next few weeks. We're going to try to cover some really big aspects of human relationships because God has something to say about our relationships. It is my job as a pastor to help you understand what God expects from each of you. And I was struck by this passage of Scripture uh, this week in Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. It says this, What can we bring to the Lord? In other words, Lord, what do you want from us? What do you expect? Should we bring him offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? God, what do you want from us? You want stuff? You want our stuff? You want our resources? You want sacrifices? You want oil? Like, what exactly do you want? The prophet Micah speaks these words on God's behalf. Verse 8, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right— to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I love passages of Scripture like this because it, it serves to decomplicate our relationships with God. We can make things so complicated. We're so driven toward religion and doing stuff and bringing stuff and trying to be impressive when the Lord just says over and over, listen, 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 let me, let me simplify this for you. Here's exactly what I expect from you. Do what is right. In other words, love 
justice, pursue the justice of God, do what is right. Here's what I want from you. Love mercy, be long-suffering, the same measure of mercy that's been shown to you, show to others. Walk humbly, which is probably the hardest of these three, to walk humbly before God and man, to put it plainly, get over yourself. To put it a different way, work hard to decenter yourself from your own life. Now, that's a tall order because it's instinctive that when we come into this world, it's, it's about me, right? You think the unintelligible babble that your baby is crying when they're first born is, is, is pointing to, hey, go help that other child. Go nurse that other child. Maybe some other child is crying. That is a cry to look at me, focus on me, you know, give me what I need. And what God continues to ask us uh, as he insists that we pursue humility is that we decenter ourselves, that we get over ourselves, that we realize that ultimately, what? Life is not about me. And so at the center of all God's uh, 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 wisdom and commandments concerning relationships is this movement away from being self-centered and self-focused toward being focused on the things of God and toward being focused on others. And here's the miraculous thing that if everybody is doing this right, that I don't really have to worry too much about myself, Right? If it's your job to care for me, and if it's my job to care for you, then we're all taken care of if we do this right. And so at the center of the wisdom and commandments concerning relationships is a charge to get over ourselves, and we'll unpack that in unique ways over the next few weeks. But I want to begin this sermon series by talking about something that is important, something that we'll run into no matter what the relationship is, And that is the subject of disagreement. Disagreement. What a wonderful way to kick off a relationship series as we try to talk about how we can be in harmony and walk in unity and love one another and just give each other noogies and snuggles. Uh, We want to start by talking about disagreement. Why, preacher, are we talking about disagreement? Because if the wheels are going to fall off of a relationship, it's usually not going to be during the high times, right? Right? Where the wine is flowing freely, there's plenty of cooperative spirit. I like you, I love you. You voted for that guy, I voted for that guy. You like that movie, I like that movie. That's usually not where the wheels, right, are going to fall off of our relationships. It's usually during those moments of disagreement and friction and disharmony and disunity when things have the potential, I didn't say they have to, they have the potential to fall apart. And it's true that many of us, perhaps most of us, have not learned how to disagree well. It's true that many of us have not learned, uh, and typically we haven't had good models, right? We have not learned how to disagree well. I'll be honest with you, the people I have the most trouble with in life, Uh, are people who can't be disagreed with. You know anybody like that? They will love you to pieces. They'll hop in front of a bullet for you, but you just can't disagree with them. Their ideas and their opinions are so sewn into their skin that should you attack one of them, 
Should you disagree with one of their positions or, or their worldview or a decision, it is so personal. Uh, I have the most trouble with people who simply can't be disagreed with. And I had people come in and out of this church seemingly excited about doing ministry with us, but they couldn't be disagreed with. And I tell them all the time, listen, if you can't be disagreed with, I can't use you. If you can't be disagreed with, if my disagreement with you throws our relationship every time into a, a world's uh, tailspin, we can't, we can't walk together. I'd like to be in relationship with people who can disagree well. People who can hear me say, hey, I didn't like that. I don't think that's the best way to do that. People who can say to me, hey, I don't think that was the best course of action. I don't think you did that right. I don't think you handled that situation right. We are where we are today because we have fostered a culture of candor on our staff and our leadership that, listen, if you don't like truth, if you don't like somebody to disagree with you, you are not going to like it here. And you're certainly not going to pick up the Bible because much of it disagrees with who you would naturally be. And I want to talk about disagreement because I believe that if we can learn to disagree well, I think that's half the battle in our relationships. I've simply called this message, How to Disagree, and I should have added the word well because some of you know how to disagree. You just do it poorly. Amen? <laughs> learn to disagree is our subject today. I'm going to be looking at a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 15. So meet me in Acts chapter 15 this morning. As we get into God's Word, uh, Acts chapter 15, there should be some Bibles on the edges of your rows, some of the rows. Feel free to use that Bible if you'd like. Uh, I won't be offended at all if you're interacting with the Scriptures through your mobile device or your tablet or whatever. Uh, Feel free to use that. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, feel free to take one of those Bibles home with you as a gift from us to you. Uh, No problem at all. While you find that, Acts 15, let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity that I have to share your word with your people, to gather in your name. When many of our friends around the world have to hide and be underground, we are blessed enough in this country to be able to worship openly and and to spread your good news to anybody who would listen. Father, we don't take that for granted. Uh, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place to do your work. Father, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us. Father, would you go before us this morning in anything within us that might bristle at the truth, that might be tempted to blame, excuse, or justify, rather than humbly receive what you have for us. Father, I pray that you would move it out of the way. Put power on these words you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 15, we're going to start at verse 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, his ministry companion, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Verse 39, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, 
the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Silicai, strengthening the churches there. Now, this is a short text, but I think it's a powerful one. Short text, but I think it's helpful. And hopefully this morning we want to mine it for some helpful truths, particularly as it relates to how we're to relate to one another. Two main characters in this story, Paul and Barnabas. Paul the Apostle, uh, formerly known as Saul, after a uh, miraculous conversion experience he had on the Damascus Road, he, uh, the Lord flipped him, and all of a sudden he's going all over the world ministering the gospel. Barnabas, Paul's ministry companion, uh, a powerful man of God in his own right, was known as the son of encouragement, if that tells you anything about his character and what other people thought about him. If your nickname is the son of encouragement, you might encourage a few people from time to time, right? And so Barnabas is Paul's uh, ministry companion, and together they make a great team. If you have some time this week and you just read the rest, you know, the, the first part of this chapter, these guys agree on just about everything. They're going before the Jerusalem Council. They're making decisions. They're presenting their case. Uh, there's loads of harmony happening uh, in, verse, uh, in, in chapter uh, 15. But Paul gets an idea, uh, the opening verses of this text that we looked at today, and Paul says, hey, you know, all those churches that we planted on our first missionary journey, hey, Barnabas, let's go back and check on those churches. I mean, that's customary. Like, we don't just plant these little churches and just hope they make it. Let's go back and check on them. Let's go back and see how they're doing. Let's go back and see if they need anything from us. And verse 37 tells us that Barnabas agreed. And this is normally how friendships and relationships work, right? Because after all, you're friends because you agree. You got married because you had some common interests, right? You went into business together because you said, I like this guy. I can work with him. I can work with her. Uh, we became Facebook friends or I followed you on Instagram because there was something about you that, that there was some mutual agreement. And usually this is how it rolls until there is a defining moment. Barnabas says, Paul, once again, brother, great idea. I got an idea. Let's bring John Mark. Let's bring my cousin John Mark along because he, he will tear it up with us. And this, friends, is the defining moment. After a whole chapter full of mutual agreement and great issue uh, and ministry, we now have an issue. We now have a situation that needs to be worked out. And it's helpful, dare I say, necessary for us to see how these two godly men who are posterized in the canon of Scripture, it's helpful for us to see how these godly men work this out. There's three things I want to highlight to you in this text. The first is, I think we learn that we should be principled in our disagreement. We should be principled in our disagreement. It's true that some of us are just a little too whimsical. 
Uh, some of us are just a little too given to the circumstances of life and the situations of life. Some of us are too controlled by which side of the bed that we get out of. And it behooves us, especially when we're interacting with other humans, to be a little more principled, to be a little bit more sure-footed when it comes to how we disagree with one another. It's true that many things in life are what I would consider to be matters of indifference. And what I mean by matters of indifference, there are things that maybe you don't disagree with, but they are not that important. I don't like the color of that paint. I wouldn't have voted for that guy. I wouldn't have said it that way. I wouldn't do it that way. I certainly disagree with that particular theological statement or that doctrinal thing or that practice, but we can still walk together. Let's just agree to disagree. There are plenty of matters of indifference. Well, if I see it, I can like it and still walk away. Or I can read something you post and keep scrolling. Whatever. This does not rise to the level of something that trips my emotional wires. Why? Because it is a matter of indifference. But there are some things in this life. There are some opinions, some worldviews. There are some suggestions that I simply cannot go along with because they violate what? My principles. They, 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 they violate some time-tested wisdom or some boundaries that I have set. And so this seems to be what's happening here with Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly. Paul said, no, thank you. You continue to read in verse 38, since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. What's the problem here? The problem has a name. His name's John Mark. And it's not so much that John Mark is the problem, it's what John Mark did last time that Paul has an issue with. Barnabas says, listen, man, my cousin, he, he'll be a great ministry companion. Let's bring him along. And Paul says, no, nah, man, this isn't going to work out. I'm not okay with this. And obviously, this is not a small matter for Paul. It's not some emotional thing. He didn't say, man, I don't really like that dude. He wears silly hats, and I just don't vibe with his vibe. Paul says, no, when we were ministering in Pamphylia, we counted on him. We booked a room for that joker. We needed him to show up and do ministry with us, and he, he was a no-call and no-show. He started out with us, but he deserted us, and Paul says, this work is too important. We can't have jokers like that running around. I don't care if your cousin or your grandma. We can't have people rolling with us like that. This is too important. And so he takes issue sharply with Barnabas' suggestion. And I like that Paul's disagreement could stand up to questioning. His issue, his reason that he has with John Mark, if you ask him four or five questions, he can answer them. And many of you, a lot of your decisions and many of the things that are causing rifts with people you love, you're just like, I don't know, I just don't know. Well, why'd you say that? Why'd you storm out of the audience? I don't know. It's just Thursday. <laughs> I wasn't really feeling it. 
Now, that's cool sometimes, but some, some of us can trace major rifts to just, you know, you weren't feeling it that day. You didn't want to be bothered that day. And I think the people in our lives that God has entrusted us with, that have brought into our lives to do ministry or life or love with us, deserve just a little bit more than it's Thursday. Paul had reasons. And some of us have never taken the time to grow in maturity, and this is just kind of how we roll. Some of us have never taken the time to just install some guiding, governing principles in our lives to help us to make decisions, to help us decide what we'll go along with or what we'll push back against. Some of us haven't let Scripture haven't been discipled by God's word in a way that installs some principles that are drilled deep into the bones of our life so that we can decide, so that we can relate, so that we can go about our lives. The alternative is that we are tossed about by our emotions and the circumstances, or worse, the opinions of someone else. I want to spend some time on this this morning because I think that solid principles will make the difference between a sure-footed, stable faith and a life with God and the opposite. Somebody who builds their, you know, house on the sand, tossed about. These principles that I'm suggesting you install in your life should be informed by the Word of God soaked in time-tested wisdom and reinforced by the Holy Spirit's guidance. And I believe that when you live a principled life and make principled decisions, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of life, right? It takes the millions of decisions that you have to make in any given, in any given year, and it puts them into categories that allows you to decide firmly and oftentimes quickly based on the principles that you have set in your life. I'll give you an example. Yesterday I had to go to a Jiffy Lube place and get the oil change before we go on our trip. And the guy came in, and he was like, oh, uh, he's, I said, how much is it going to be? He's like, well, and he pulled me over to the corner. Come over here. You know it's not, you know, not going to be something above board when the guy calls you to the corner. He said, come over here, man. He says, listen, so if you pay with cash, he said, this is going to be $30 cheaper for you. So he, so he gave me a look like, what's it going to be? I said, no, man, I, I can't do that. So first of all, I don't, have the, I don't have that much cash on me. But... I can't do that because this isn't your stuff to... Now, I didn't say this, but this is my thought process. This isn't your stuff to give away. We're over in the corner whispering like, I didn't have to, you know, I called my wife and said, man, what do you think about this? Should we do this? Is this a good move? I have to pray about it, right? Because my decision was based on a principle, right? And so it did not take me long to figure out what to do in that particular situation. And the older I get, right, the more I walk with Jesus, the more principles and things that are installed along the road of my life, they don't make life harder. They actually serve to make life simpler. And I'm not just talking about whether I do something ethical or unethical. 
I'm talking about how I relate to people. Because sometimes the decisions that I have to make with other people don't have anything to do with ethics. Doesn't have anything to do with sin. It's just, you know what, last time I did this, it didn't work. Last time I trusted somebody who was carrying on like you're carrying on, it didn't work out. And so I installed some principles to help me make some decisions and I can give an answer if I have to. Now, now understand, I don't owe most people an explanation about anything. But if you just need to know why I'm not doing that, if you just need to know why I'm not going to give you money the third time, if you need to know why my kids can't sleep over, it's, uh, these, these decisions have been made on the basis of some guiding principles. And some of us would do ourselves well this morning to install some in our lives. There are things that are too significant to ignore. Sometimes they're be presented with decisions, relational decisions, an opposing viewpoint that is simply unjust. It's racist. It's dripping in bigotry. And you just say, hey, I can't go with that. Sometimes it's unethical or dishonest, like this Jiffy Loop situation. It's just, there's, there's no debating about it. I got to say no to this. Other times it'll dishonor another person. Other times it will go against God's standards and his principles and his laws. And even though everybody agrees with it, but you, you'll have to say, I'm going to have to pass on that. Maybe it's something that used to be taboo, but everybody's warming up to the idea. It even used to be unlawful, but it seems like the times are changing. People are having parades, and everybody's celebrating. It's, it's okay now, but you might say, no, 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 no. I, the Lord didn't add an addendum to that. And so I must stand firm. Sometimes it's just unwise. To put it more bluntly, sometimes it's just a stupid thing to do. And sometimes you, you don't have a whole lot of language. Just the Holy Spirit within you says, not this time. The Holy Ghost says, no, 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 no. Although the, everything, at the, it looks, sometimes just you get, as the old folks used to say, you get an unction in your spirit that said, don't trust that joker. Don't date that guy. Don't let your kids go on that trip. And somebody said, well, why can't you do it? Listen, most of the time I got something for you, but on this time I just got to go with the Holy Ghost on this. There are some things that principles will help you deal with. And I believe that this is how Paul is working this out here. Paul says, this is too important. I, I can't have John Mark come with us on. Let's not forget about Barnabas because Barnabas is also here. I mean, Barnabas is not some lightweight. He's not just some joker. It seems to me uh, that Barnabas is making an equally principled decision. Because this text doesn't position Paul as the person who's, 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 who's right here. Nor does it position Barnabas as somebody who is wrong. Barnabas, known as a son of encouragement... Not to mention John Mark is his cousin. Uh, it could be that, you know, Barnabas is just a little bit more trusting 
little bit more given to second chances and showing mercy. Maybe he knows some details about the circumstances of John Mark's life because it's his family that allows him to trust him in a way that Paul doesn't. It seems to me that Barnabas is making a principled decision as well. He said, Paul, I trust this guy. You know me. We go way back. If I say he's good, he's good. I know what you value. I know the work we have ahead of us. I think John Mark is good. Can we consider bringing him along? Barnabas, principal, Paul, principal, they lock horns. They are getting nowhere. Which brings us to the second thing I see in this text, and that is that sometimes it's okay to say goodbye. Sometimes it's okay to say goodbye. Sometimes it's okay to part company when you've tried to talk it out. When you tried to reason with somebody and you tried to help them see it from your perspective, you've been principled, they've been principled, you're at an impasse. Sometimes, friends, it's okay to say goodbye. And some of us have not learned this time-tested truth. And you're in relationships that you shouldn't be in. You're hooked up with people that you shouldn't be hooked up with. And it's costing you uh, things that you, you will never fully know what it's costing you because you felt like it was the harmonious thing to do to stay together, to continue to walking dis- together despite agreeing on some really important thing. Now, hear me. I'm not talking about married couples here. If you're looking for an easy way out of your marriage, this is not what I'm talking about, right? We want to talk about marriage. We want to talk about how to disagree. Listen, marriage is, you know, this isn't like, okay, I don't agree with you. Pastor said we're done, right? (laughs) This is not that, okay? I want to be clear. Let that be on the record. We're recording, right? I don't want to be misquoted here. But it's okay to say goodbye, verse 39, their disagreement was so sharp. And I don't think we're getting the full transcript of what was said. There might have been some heat to this. The disagreement was so sharp that they what? They separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and he left. And they went to Syria and Zelikai. I don't know about you, but I, 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 I think as I read this, Why couldn't these two men of God figure this thing out? Why didn't Paul just maybe pull rank and say, hey, hey, listen, I'm Paul, you're Barnabas, this is how this is going to go, right? Why is it that these men full of God's spirit couldn't come together and figure out a way forward? Good question. I think the simple answer was this particular situation did not require that. It did not require that. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just leave somebody alone. Sometimes the best thing you do, can do, particularly when you reach an impasse, particularly when things are, you can't figure a way forward, the, sometimes the best thing you can do, because we can't agree, is to walk away. It's to say goodbye. It's to bid someone farewell. I think sometimes Christian unity, misunderstanding that, causes us to stay longer than we're intended to stay and pay more than we're intended to pay when it is like totally cool at some points in relationships uh, to just walk away. 
I firmly believe that most relationships have a shelf life. They have a shelf life. I can count on one hand the people who have been in my life like close friends for long stretches of time. Most of the people have come in and out of my life for seasons where they needed what I had. I needed what they had. God had is sovereign in the aligning and the crisscrossing of paths. And it's usually the case that a sharp disagreement or someplace where we no longer had mutual agreement caused, was, was the signal for us, right? Sometimes it's time for us to say goodbye. If we believe that God is sovereign in the fine details of our lives, then we must understand that sometimes it's God working these things out. And even if God isn't working out, he hasn't caused the particular friction or disagreement, he is sovereign to redeem that so that it works still for the good of those who trust in him. I'm not saying that God is always causing rifts, but sometimes he's in the midst of it. Now, let me just say as an aside, some separations, some partings of uh, company are just silly and unnecessary. Sometimes they're the fruit of laziness and unwillingness to ask hard questions, to sit in there and talk about things like two grown adults, right? I see people all the time throw away good relationships over some silly, and you say, but well, what, what was it that caused the rift? What was it that just caused everything to blow up? You've blocked them, you're slandering them on faith, but what was it? I said, man, I don't even remember. And sometimes I don't remember it's code for, I'm too ashamed to say how silly the thing was. God is causing us to get over ourselves and to be humble. Sometimes that means shutting your mouth and listening to an opposing viewpoint. Sometimes that means conceding. Sometimes that means apologizing when you're wrong. And some of us are so stubborn so immature, so unspiritual that you'd rather throw the whole thing away rather than be humble before God and man. That is not what I am talking about here. Because here in this text, you have two godly men, both of them making great points that seem to be anchored in principle and reason. They simply do not agree. Prophet Amos says in Amos 3, 3, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Sometimes it's just time to go. The challenge is to separate in a way that both honors God and honors the other person. This is what people of faith do. They're not afraid of disagreement. They're not afraid to talk things out. And at the end of all of that, if we can't work it out, don't let the doorknob hit you, right? No, you wouldn't say that because that's not honoring. That's not kind. You would say, I bid you farewell. That's healthy. That's helpful. Sometimes it's necessary. It's okay to say goodbye. There's one thing, the third thing here that I saw in this text that I didn't necessarily see before. And I think this is some really helpful wisdom for us. The third thing that I see in this text from these godly men when they agree, uh, one, one thing that you can pull out is that don't borrow beef. 
right? Don't, don't borrow beef. And I'm not talking about steak. I'm talking about beef. Like, don't borrow somebody else's issue. Don't borrow somebody else's enemy. And I see this happening a lot, right? That you expect me to be mad with the people who are, you're mad with. You expect me to not mess with the people you don't mess with. You expect me to borrow your beef with somebody and be mad at them and give them the cold shoulder. Listen, to me, most of the time, that is just so silly. And when I look at this particular passage and I look at this story and I see this particular truth hop out at me, I go, man, the world could benefit from this. Man, God's people can benefit from this because you've got to give Barnabas credit. This is a big boy move right here. This, 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 is a, this, is a, this, this displays some maturity that many of us should grab a hold of because he could have just been easily rolled over by Paul's opinion and taken by Paul's status and let Paul's issue with John Mark become his issue with John Mark. Verse 39 said, the disagreement was so sharp that they separated. But Barnabas said, I'm going to take John Mark, and we're going to go to Cyprus. And Paul, you can go wherever you and your homeboy are going to go. We, we just want to part company. And what is Barnabas saying to Paul through his actions? Paul, I love you, brother, but you got a problem with John Mark, not me. That's my cousin anyway, so we're family. Don't borrow somebody's issue with somebody else. And if you're a friend, don't ask. Don't require that of your friends. It's a small thing to do. It's an immature thing to do. Now, let me just say, there's some some, uh, infractions that are so egregious and so big and just so out there that, like, I just got to, I mean, man, so we got to, I can't hang with you. If, you. if you treat my people like that, I mean, if you're doing that, there's some things that rise to the level. I, I can't trust you. If you're doing things like that, you want to apologize, uh, right? And again, if you, if you hate my wife, like, we're probably not going to be that cool. Uh, you can't stand her, like, we're probably not going to hang out, right? I'm not talking about stuff like that. I'm just talking about, like, don't expect me to have an issue with people you have issues with because that's your issue. That's your problem. That's your beef. That's your, and people ask me all the time, you know, you seem to be cool with everybody. How is it that you know everybody? How is it everybody cool with you? I, I don't borrow enemies. I don't borrow beef. And oftentimes what it looks like is I'm like, don't don't even tell me. Don't even tell me. Don't even tell me. And somebody gets slick and they slip it in their enemy anyway, and it infuriates me. Because now I now I gotta think about that when I talk to them. Don't even tell me about it. Does it concern me? Have you talked to them? Don't tell me about it. I don't want to think about that when I see them. I don't want to hold that against them. I don't want to add that to their account. Do not bring me in. Now, that's kind of hard in my position because I'm often mediating, right? Many of you are my friends, and sometimes I got to hear it. But don't tell me any more details than I need to have to successfully mediate because I don't want your beef. 
It hinders relationships. It causes disunity. It corrupts my heart. Not to mention, that's not the full story. Now I got to go to them to get their side of it and try to synthesize the two to figure out what really happened. Don't even tell me about it. Because the wise, mature, they don't borrow beef. They don't share enemies. And so how do we put this all together? And Alicia, you can come up as we <laughs> land the plane here. If you don't hear anything else, you should hear me saying, don't be afraid of disagreement. Don't be afraid of disagreement. Some of our best decisions as a church, as a leadership team, has been birthed through disagreement. We have a number of our board members here, some leadership team here. I mean, if you, if you come to some of our board meetings, some of our budget meetings, you might think, if you just peek in the window, you might think we don't like each other. Voices sometimes. Right? Pastor David always says, that's right. Sometimes voices get raised. Furniture moves around a little bit. Right? It's because we're not afraid of disagreement. We realize that everybody sitting around the table loves this place. They got a lot of skin in the game. They give their right arm rather than to see this place mishandled and mismanaged. And so they're not afraid to disagree with even me. I wish there would be maybe a little bit more reverence in the meeting and just <laughs> deference, right? But that doesn't get us where we need to go. And so I wonder what our lives would be like if we didn't look at fear or, or, or get nervous or anxious when it comes to disagreement, but rather shift our thinking to choosing to disagree well, to making sure that if we're pushing back and if we have to say no to something or if we have a dissenting opinion, it's based on a principle and not just a whim and an emotion. Make sure that we're handling people well, even if we have to part company, that we do so with honor and we do so in a way that preserves the person's dignity and that we don't borrow the issues or are unduly swayed by the opinions of others in all that we're blameless before God and man, even in the midst of our disagreement. In our marriages, in our friendships, in our business dealings, on social media, with friends and strangers alike, that we are to be blameless. I love it that this particular story has a very positive outcome, right? Instead of one ministry team, this rift actually causes two ministry teams because Barnabas takes John Mark, Paul finds Silas, they eventually bring Timothy on, and, and the work continues, right? And so this should take the sting out of our approach toward disagreement. How do you disagree? Is there room for growth for you? Are you principled in your decisions and your disagreement? Are you okay with saying goodbye if it comes to that? Are you content to not borrow somebody else's issues? How are you today? My prayer is that as you walk through this week and you face moments where you're forced to disagree, 
that you would walk out these principles and allow the Holy Spirit to govern how you do that. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word, your truth. Thank you for your challenge. Thank you for your examples that you set before us. And Father, would you give us opportunities this week to put these things into practice? Would you give us the stamina to listen and to respond well and to be led by your Holy Spirit? Give us your heart. In Jesus' name.